You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. I think they're a bunch of gutless bastards, to be honest. That was really strong. That's a good quote. Gutless (laughs) bastards. Cowards. Gutless bastards. You know, Dom, this is our title for this podcast, Gutless Bastards. I wonder if well, we could even, if, if we named it that, would it would it stay? Like, yeah. how long do you think that that title would stay on the 32 Thoughts podcast page? So here's the question. Is this now Jeff Jackson's Edmonton Oilers? Welcome to 32 Thoughts, the podcast brought to you by the all-new GMC Sierra HD. So there's the question, Elliot. What is the answer? Is this now Jeff Jackson's team? Jay Woodcroft, Dave Manson out. Uh, Chris Knobloch and Paul Coffey come in to take their place. The short answer is yes. That the, I do believe this is Jeff Jackson's team now. The longer answer is that I believe the ground shifted under Jay Woodcroft. Quite frankly, uh, I don't think that anybody would have envisioned that a month ago, Jay Woodcroft would not be the head coach of the Edmonton Oilers. There was definitely a hope and a desire and a feeling from a lot of people, including a lot of Sportsnet experts, that the Edmonton Oilers would be among the top teams in the Western Conference, the team would be humming along, and we'd all be talking about uh, ponies and unicorns when we were discussing the Edmonton Oilers. Unfortunately, it didn't occur. Uh, I don't think failure this year is an option. Um, As was discussed at the media conference on Sunday afternoon when they lost to San Jose on Thursday night, there were some serious conversations about where this was going to go and if it was time to make a change. And I think also with the fact that Leon Dreisaitl has one more year on his contract and Connor McDavid has only two, there was definitely a conversation about we cannot let this fester. We cannot give these players doubt that there is any desire for us or any question that we're, we're going to push ourselves toward a championship. And look, like Jay Woodcroft had the greatest winning percentage in Oilers coaching history. Now, it's not exactly apples to apples. Glenn Sather won championships. John Muckler won championships. But Jay Woodcroft was very successful. And it's incredible to me on one level that he only got one full season as head coach. This is a guy who I have no doubt is going to be a head coach in the NHL again and very soon if he wants to be. But 
the way that this season started forced the Oilers into a panic level that nobody expected. And that brought a situation where change they felt had to happen. Well, here, here becomes the question then, because you mentioned the contracts of Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid. And, you know, the moment is upon us. Can, there can be no more squandered games. We've talked about all this. You can't, you know, you've used up all your bad games. You can't have any more clunkers anymore, I believe was your line from last week or the or the week before that. Stinkers, that reality, I think, was the use, word I used. So Not stinkers, clunkers, sorry, stinkers. Oh, I'm, I'm more of a poet than you, though, Elliot. So I'm That's go true. Clunkers. That's true. Here becomes the question then. Why go with rookie coaches, rookie NHL coaches? Mind you, these are coaches that have, um, well, the head coach certainly has developed players, both in junior hockey and at the American Hockey League level, but these are not accomplished or experienced NHL coaches by any stretch of the imagination. Given how sensitive this situation is right now for the Oilers this season and the subsequent two seasons, is it not how should we say, interesting, some might say concerning, that they go to a rookie bench? I think this, Jeff. One thing everybody's trying to do is they're going back through their notes or they're racking their brains for conversations about who does Jeff Jackson like. And if you ask, and you're around the Ontario Hockey League a lot, you know your junior hockey, Knobloch won a Western Hockey League championship too. If you go back over the last five or six years, who does Jeff Jackson like? The guy that got hired today. He likes 100%. That's that, that has been going on forever. Yes. Forever. For years and years and years and years, Jeff Jackson has been talking up Chris Knobloch. And that is why he's the new head coach of the Edmonton Oilers. I think there was a day under Jackson that Knobloch could become the coach. Yes. I think there was a chance it was going to come on November the 12th, 2023. No, I didn't think it. I don't think anybody thought it. But that's what we're all doing right now. People were talking about this being a McDavid call. I, I don't buy that. I think this is a Jeff Jackson call. And there's, there's a lot of different dynamics at play here. One of them is, look, Ken Holland, he's the manager. He's the GM. He's doing a lot of the legwork. But I think in a lot of ways, this is the first sign about how this is now Jeff Jackson's organization. Ken Holland is in the last year of his deal. He will do what he needs to do. He will consult he will make calls, he will do the legwork, he will basically consult, he will tell Jeff Jackson what he thinks the landscape is out there. But because Holland's in his last year, I think you're beginning to see the turnover. The turnover to Jackson, uh, Paul Coffey is another guy who's got a big voice, I think what we saw today was sort of an understanding that their Oilers are in their transition phase from Holland to Jackson. And because Jackson is a huge Knobloch fan, I think in a lot of ways, 
This was his call. One quick aside here, and I want to get back to Edmonton, but I want to make sure we get this point in because we've talked about on this podcast a couple of different times. Um, years ago, Nashville granting Kirk Muller permission to go to Carolina. He was coaching yep. in Milwaukee, the AHL affiliate. Um, this doesn't always happen. Uh, the season's underway. You don't want to let your head coach go in the American Hockey League because of how important that team is for your parent organization. Uh, do you have a thought on the Rangers allow essentially allowing this to happen for each? Well, first of all, I, I, like not every team would do what the New York Rangers did. As a matter of fact, I heard yeah. from one team on Sunday that absolutely would not do what the Rangers did. But at the end of the day, Chris Knobloch is being given a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and that is to coach Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl at the NHL level. And good on the Rangers for allowing that to happen. Not everybody would do it. I Look, the other thing, too, is, is that Kyle Dubas, when he was the AGM in Toronto, Colorado asked for permission to talk to him. And the Maple Leafs, and this actually went down the road, and it looked like he was going to be the GM of the Avalanche. And at the last minute, the Maple Leafs pulled back and said, we're not going to allow this. And it was Mike Babcock who went to the Maple Leafs ownership or the senior management, and he said, well, we've got to make him the GM now, right? Like, we can't block him. If if we're going to block Kyle Dubas from doing this in Colorado, he's got to be the manager in Toronto. And what happened? He did take over as the manager in Toronto. So I think this, if you're the New York Rangers and you're going to block Knobloch from getting that job in Edmonton, you have to promote him. And you have to promote him soon. Well, look, Peter Laviolette's the new head coach. Knobloch had a chance to become the coach in, in New York. He didn't. They went to Laviolette. They liked that choice better. And look at the job Laviolette's doing. They're off to a great start. So I think if you're the Rangers and you don't have a chance for Knobloch to grow in your organization, I do think on a lot of levels, you should let him go. Now, I will say this. I've met some hardcore business people in my life who are against that, who don't believe in that, and who say no to that. But if it was me, I would say, look, you're not going to be the head coach of the Rangers. Go there. And I'm glad that New York did that. Back to the Oilers. What did you make of, and we're going to get back to Chris Knobloch here and, and Paul Coffey, but what did you make of that moment where Ken Holland said he had spoken to vets and Jeff Jackson said, we didn't talk to the players about this decision. They just play. Okay. So this is what I think about that. I do believe, and I Got some intel over the past couple of weeks. You know, Jeff, when a team is struggling, it's not unusual for the manager to call agents and say, hey, is there something wrong with X player that we don't know about? We need X player to play a lot better. Is there something bothering him? Is there something in their life that we're not aware of? Is there something we can do? And I think a lot of those calls were going on. Sometimes when a coach will tell a player, we need you to be better, or a GM will tell a player, we need to be better, but sometimes the GM will call the agent and say, hey, we need you to help us impress upon this guy that he needs to be better, unless there's something going on that we don't know about. And I think all of that was happening. I believe over the last couple of weeks, especially since the outdoor game, The Oilers were meeting with a lot of players and saying, what are we going to have to do to make this better? 
I think at the end of the day, Jeff Jackson made this call. Um, you know, I, I think Ken Holland obviously consulted with him. I think that I take them at their word when they said the two of them discussed this and said it was time. But ultimately, you know, the fact that it was Chris Knobloch, that says to me it was Jackson's call. I don't think the players overthrew Jay Woodcroft. I don't buy that. I believe at the end of the day, Jeff, that there is so much on the line with this Edmonton season. They have to contend. As I said, the contracts coming up with Dreisaitl and McDavid, the idea of going backwards was not allowable. It was not an option. Now, I think a couple of things. I think the Oilers were feeling they weren't throwing in the towel on the season. You know, if you take a look in the last five years, you had St. Louis going from last place early in January to winning the Stanley Cup in 2019. Last year, you had Florida going into the Stanley Cup final after being on fumes in January and February. I think Edmonton looked at it and said, if we're going to make the move, we're going to have to do it now because failure this year is not an option. And that's why I think Jay Woodcroft is no longer the coach, not because he's a bad coach, not because he suddenly became stupid, but because the Edmonton Oilers looked at it and said, failure this year is not an option. You know, one of the things I reported on on Saturday night is the Oilers had called around the league to try to find, is there something we can do? Whether it's up and down our lineup or in goal, is there something we can do? And they thought the, the the only options that were available to them were really bad. Where I think they knew they were dealing from a position of weakness, that they might have to make some moves that were not potentially palatable, but they were not willing to do what was presented to them because they're even worse than they thought. And all these other teams were saying, look, if you're not going to do this, we're ready to wait and squeeze you or wait longer because we don't have to rush so all of a sudden you get in a position where you're like okay we can't make a trade so there's something else here we've got to try now i I had one really interesting conversation with, with a coach a really experienced hall of fame level coach on sunday and you know if you go back to that press conference one of the things that they are asked about is basically accountability and and basically what the reporters are doing is they're asking is should guys be benched more in games like you look at this league columbus has benched a ton of guys calgary benched jonathan huberto like this is the year of the benchings a lot of guys are getting benched and 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 ken holland he took the heat for this one He said, look, Jay Woodcroft and I had talked about that, but because of the moves that I had to make, basically Holland says the roster's too thin to bench anyone. And I give credit to Ken Holland because he didn't try to blame it on anybody else. He didn't say it was, he said he ate it. He took that poop sandwich. He poured some paprika on it. He maybe gave it a couple other seasonings and he ate it. And... What this coach said to me is that in Jay Woodcroft's next job, and again, it will come soon if he wants it to, that's the one thing he thinks Woodcroft will change. He said, look, they had to win games. He couldn't bench guys. In his next job, he will bench guys because Woodcroft's going to look at this and he's going to say, if I could do something over again, 
he would have benched guys, but I couldn't because my roster wasn't deep enough. And I thought that was really instructive that Holland said that. This is going to sound like a dumb question, but you know me for a long time. Mm -hmm. What's different now? Like the Oilers play against the New York Islanders on Monday. So mm -hmm. this is the debut of Chris. On Lock the David Amber show. The Edmonton Oilers. On the David Amber Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Um, he was there for Connor McDavid's first game in the NHL a Thursday night against the St. Louis Blues. He's here for the Chris Knobloch experience with Connor McDavid. Um, you know, because Knobloch at the press conference, you know, one of the things that stood out for me was when he said, and I can't fault him for being honest, he said, you know, we can only change so much. This is who we have and, and this is who we are. So what's different now? Like, I know there are two different coaches. I get that, but it's still the same team. I know this is Jeff Jackson's team now. Yeah. And he's calling the shots. He's got the hands on the wheel. So that's different, but it's still the same players, the same curiosity about did Connor McDavid come back too early and is Matias at home still hurts? And what are we going to do about all the high danger chances we're surrendering? And how about these goalies that have been hard to hit all year? What's different? What's different is this, young Merrick, even though you're older than oh, I am. Call me young. Yeah. <laughs> the excuse is gone. Like, again, I, I will... Well, that's, what I was, I, that's what I was getting to. This is all on the players now. I, I will say this until I'm blue in the face. This coaching change was not about Jay Woodcroft. It was not. This coaching change was about Edmonton cannot afford a disastrous season so what are we going to do to try to change things? That's what this is. You know, you heard Paul Coffey talk about it. You heard Jeff Jackson talk about it. You heard Ken Holland talk about it. After they lost to San Jose on Thursday night, they all started to say, it's time. We, we, we have to try something else. And that's where it is. And, and you can take a look at this way. Jay Woodcroft has 14 playoff wins with the Oilers. Only three others have more. Sather, Muckler, and McTavish. He's the first Oilers coach to take the team past the first round of playoffs in consecutive seasons since Ron Lowe. We all know about the goalie issues. I mean, we can all take a look at this and say he's got a 64% winning percentage uh, 78, 41, and 13. It's a great record. This was not about Jay Woodcroft. It was, a, as a coach, it was about losing and going badly at the absolute wrong time. And it forced the team into action. The ground shifted under him. Holland was a guy who brought in Woodcroft, and there's a new, there's a new sheriff in town. And like, but the thing is, like, I don't think Jeff Jackson was looking to get rid of Jay Woodcroft, but all of a sudden the season starts the way it starts and you're sitting there and you're saying there's so much at stake. What can we change? All right. We changed the goalie. That's one. We tried to make moves not happening. Not right now. What else can we change? Well, you know, there's, there's a coach out there that Jeff Jackson really believes in and we feel that we're backed into a corner that we have to do something. 
That's what happened here. When I say the ground shifted under Jay Woodcroft, that's exactly what occurred. He went through a losing streak at the absolute worst possible time. Life, Jeff, sometimes it's about who you know. Sometimes it's about what you can do. Sometimes life is about location, location, location. The three most important words in the English language. But sometimes life is about timing. And Jay Woodcroft's worst stretch as head coach with the team came at the absolute worst possible timing. You know, Elliot, we've talked a lot about Jay Woodcroft um, on this Sunday as we record. Uh, We should probably park a little bit of time as well to talk about another coach who was dismissed, and that is Dave Manson, who for a lot of years did a lot of good things with and for a lot of good defensemen. Yes, and you know, Dave Manson, people of our generation, when they think of Dave Manson, Jeff, they don't think about the defensive coach. They think about one of the most intimidating players in the history of the National Terrified people, like legitimately scared people, Elliot. There were people who did not want to skate within 14 (laughs) feet of Dave Manson because they were frightened about what he would do to them. And in many of those cases, Jeff, it was for good reason. Well, you know, many of you probably saw the the story a couple weeks ago about the Colorado Avalanche this year had a mother's trip. And uh, at the suggestion of Ryan Johansson, there were a number of shirts that said for Lana. And Lana was the mother of Josh Manson and the wife of Dave Manson. And she passed away in August in Saskatchewan after a, a battle with melanoma cancer. And, you know, look, like, I don't want to trivialize it or undersell it or oversell it in any way. I think everybody understands how hard that would have been for Dave. And then, you know, as as much as the professional challenges are, they would pale in comparison to the personal challenges that he went through. But it's a lot. It, it's a lot for someone to go through over a, you know, a two and a half to three month period. So just want to say, hope Dave's okay. And, like Jay Woodcroft will be coaching in the NHL soon, you only assume that Dave Manson will be too if he wants to. So just hope he's doing all right. And I know there is a league full of people who are thinking about him. There's the business and there's the human side. And sometimes the business really sucks. And I think for a lot of people, they would be thinking about Manson on Sunday. As I mentioned, uh, the first game in the Knobloch era, Monday against the New York Islanders. Um, Anything more you want to add on the Edmonton situation before we move this program along? We spent so much time on Edmonton last podcast. This is turning into uh, a rival for Bob Stoffer's show now. No, first of all, we're better than Stoffer's show. There is no way we are worse than Bob Stoffer's show. Like that's a that, that, I like when he talk, I like when he talks old, old junior hockey stories and G Bear stories. Yes. I love when he gets in. Oh my that. God. You know, I, I gotta tell you, I, w- I was speaking to Stoffer on Sunday, and I wanna stress that this was after everything had happened. Like I guarantee to you, I, I would love to see Stoffer's call log on Sunday, how many people called him and he just wasn't answering his phone. But he was whining and complaining about the Golden Bears. Jeff, they suffered (laughs) a ridiculous loss in the Canada West Conference Uh, Final. I saw the highlights. I couldn't believe it 
when I saw it. They lost to UBC in the most ridiculous way possible. Go Western, the Purple Satan won. Um, but they Purple lost Satan. in the in the most ridiculous <laughs> way possible. And Stoffer, oh, yeah? yeah. So Stoffer was complaining about that. He, he like the Oilers changed their coach, and he's complaining about the way that uh, Alberta lost in the Canada West final. Um, you know, I, I, I think this. I, I think it's. I don't think all those players are going to agree with this. Like that's number one. I think Knobloch's going to have a challenge. Like, like that's number one. Is that I don't think all the players agree with this. You know, Knobloch goes in there after a win, so everyone's going to feel a little bit better about themselves. Um, but, but I will say this: I, I think one of the biggest challenges is that you know McDavid hates to lose, and when he loses. He is miserable. That's the thing I like about him the most. Like, you can talk about his speed, you can talk about his skill, you can talk about all the things he does. He does a lot of great things. I think the best thing about Connor McDavid is he is miserable when they lose. And because they've been losing a lot, you know, he's their captain, he's miserable. So the whole team is miserable. When your when your captain and your leaders and your coach is miserable, and I think Woodcroft really tried not to be, but when McDavid's miserable because he's the captain, the whole team is miserable. I think Knobloch, who knows him because he coached him, is going to have to get him out of that. You know me and my love for grumpy hockey players, though. Yeah, right? like I'm never going to complain. Uh, Jeff, like if if I if I was losing as much as they did in the first 13 games of the season, I'd be miserable too. I understand it. But that's the thing. Like one of my big annoyances about not just hockey but all sports is the um, is the performative after a loss. I'm so upset about this. You can't live like that. And a lot of players don't. A lot of it is a performance. And the minute the cameras are turned off and everybody walks away, it's like, okay, well, I got through that one. But like this has been going on for a long time. And McDavid is. I I'm, I agree with you. He is legitimately pissed off. He's had it. And he's and he's and he's like legit pissed. If you're a team that's in first place in your conference and you lose a game, and, and you're 20 games over 500, I don't think you have to be. I don't think you have to be performative. I think everybody understands that. But I know where you're coming from. This is a team that was having an awful stretch at the start of the year, and I, I just think the level of anger and the level of disappointment was was sky high, sky high. Okay. Um, the other newsmaker of the weekend, I'm getting off the Oilers page here, but not going too far, not straying too far away from Edmonton. Four hour drive. What, what is happening? Highway two. What is happening with Nikita Zadorov? So it was interesting. You know, Zadorov. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was interesting. So Zadorov plays under 16 minutes on Friday night and they lose to Toronto. He delivers a huge hit in Bertuzzi. And, And I'll tell you something else. Uh, Jeff, the word going around on Sunday night is that a Maple Leaf player said to Zadorov on the ice, "You're exactly what we need." So that leads to a was. Hang on, was that was that former teammate London Knight Max Domi? Uh, I, I I don't know. Like honestly, they wouldn't tell me who said it, but. Wouldn't surprise me. They were teammates with the Knights. Yeah, you know, I I, I just don't know. Like, I, I can't answer. Okay. Like, okay. you okay. know what, Jeff? You could be right. On, you know, it's rare for you, but you could actually be hey, right about hey, something. Hey, I hey. just don't know who it was. Like, someone told me it was said on the... They heard it said on the ice that 
one player said this is Zorov, you're exactly what we could use here in Toronto. And he delivered a big hit on Tyler Bertuzzi. But Zadorov gets off the ice, and, you know, I, I don't know if it was a slap shot text to the agent, like, play me or freaking trade me or whatever happened here. But Dan Milstein, who was the agent, you know, basically said, you know, he wants out. And uh, buy your tickets in Toronto. Zadorov could be here. So, you know, you know, I will say this. The Flames were really quiet on Saturday. They were not answering calls um, they weren't getting back to me. It reminded me of my high school days when I used to try to uh, call members of the opposite sex and say, would you like to go on a date with me? And I just never got an answer. That, You know, Craig, Craig Conroy, I want to tell you, it really hurt. It brought back traumatic memories. Um, anyway, <laughs> I, I think the Calgary wanted to dial it down. I think they wanted to calm it down. Um, you know, if you listen to Zadorov talk to Ryan Leslie and the other media after the game on Saturday night in Ottawa, you know, he basically just said, you have to understand, but I'm not going to go into it any more than that. And, you know, I, I think this, I think Zadorov, if he's only going to play 15, 16 minutes a night, I, I think he'd rather do it in another situation. And, uh, but I think the Flames were upset. I think some of the players were upset. Um, but, you know, like, it was funny. I was, I was talking to a couple agents and, you know, they were saying to me that, um, you know, more and more players kind of want this. You know, they, they, like, there's some agents who are absolutely dead set against that approach. They say it's not the way we should do things and I don't like it. But there were a couple agents say to me that this newer, younger generation of players, like they see how the basketball players kind of control the narrative and they're in charge. And they're like, you know, like I had a couple guys tell me that they have to fight off some of their young guys about this, that their young guys are like, do it, do it, do it. And they're like, that's not the way that this should work. So, you know, we're kind of in that middle ground. But, you know, Whatever, whatever the case is, like, I think Calgary's got some interesting stuff going on. Like, the one thing I think the Flames said is, we're going to do this on our schedule. You know, maybe we'll trade Zadorov. If he doesn't want to stay here, we'll do it. But we're going to do this on our schedule. It's not going to happen on his schedule. It's going to happen on our schedule. And, and I do think that, you know, look, like, going into... Friday night, they weren't that far out of the playoff race, and it's still early, but, you know, they got one point of a possible four on the weekend. We'll see where everything is, but I do think the Flames kind of just wanted to see how this season would play out. But now you've got Hannafin, where it looked like an extension was getting close, has, has fallen apart. There's nothing yet with Tanev. Um, you know, Zadorov's agent uh, pops off like this. Um, you know, all of a sudden, once again, you've got three UFADs. The one thing I really think it did was it brought some other teams into the conversation. Like people think that, you know, I've mentioned Arizona with Hannafin. I, I think there was something there. I think they talked. I just don't know how far it got. And it's obviously not anywhere right now. Um, Toronto and Vancouver have both been mentioned with Tanev and Zadorov individually. And I think Toronto would love to have both of them if they could. And I don't know if it's with an extension or I don't know how it is, but 
you know, I, I, I just think that Calgary said, look, like this is going to happen on our terms, but I think it brought other teams out of the woodwork. That like someone said to me on Sunday, you got more work to do now. Like everybody knows about Toronto and Vancouver. Now, because of that tweet, who else is out there? You got to do your work and figure out who else is now involved. So I think if that did anything, it, it brought other teams into the equation and now, but it's on Calgary's timeline. Like I said, they made it very clear, we are going to do this when we are ready. Now, a couple other things with the Flames. Number one, Lindholm has got to get going. Like, he's not helping himself here, and he has got to get going. And number... Eight points in 14 games. Yeah, and, and but the thing is, like, just not a huge impact, right? Like, you know, yeah, he's, he's got to make more of an impact. And secondly... And I give you credit, which I don't like to do too often, but Ooh. Huberto changed. Say it, say it loud, so say, say it loud, I, so everyone can I hear. I give the back. you credit, but I don't like to do it too often. <laughs> you were the one who pointed yeah. out that Huberto changed his equipment, and uh, Bauer, yeah, using some Bauer gear now. Yeah, so I looked into it, and uh, I was told that I'm going to get the answer for you here. Yes. He changed everything at the beginning of the season, everything except the stick. But that's a good yeah, that, I mean, that's a good pull a, on your a, part. A really good pull. There's on a your part. it's uh it's a geeky pull, I know, but it's, it's no, one I of like those that. things that I, I respect when that. There's respect, no making fun. When they're that's respect. When, when they, <laughs> I don't like this complimentary Elliot. I like the uh, the poking fun at me, uh, Elliot Friedman. No, but that's what players do when they want to change everything. It's like, okay, everything's going to change. I want new gloves. I want new helmet. I want new skates. I'm going to try a new stick, a new pattern, new everything, just to get rid of that old feel from last year. I mean, it's it's, it's not that uncommon. I think I mentioned here a couple of weeks ago how. You know, Ovechkin was using because uh, I guess the CCM contract ran out, and he's not a he's not a Bauer client. Um, but he was using Bauer sticks. I think he's sampled Warrior as well. I think they shipped sticks to him. And I think that like Huberto is not a Bauer guy right now, but I think he's trying out their product. And you do that. Like you change your whole it, it's one of the things that whenever players are going through slumps, I kind of look at like, okay, what's different? What are they trying to do? And sometimes you can see, oh, those are different gloves. Oh, those are different skates that they're using and Huberto just joins a, a long line of those players that are, you know, trying new things to try to get a new feel for their game. So hope it works for him. I really do. I, I really now, but the thing is I, I always wonder about that specifically with skates because players are so sensitive about skates uh, and it's such a huge part of your game that that's gotta be the one that perhaps is the most difficult to change. Once you get used to your brand of skates to change to something else, you talk to any of the guys like that's that that's that's the biggest adjustment. But we'll see, we'll see where that goes. By the way, one more note on Zadorov circling back, as I'm fascinated now. Who would have said that Mitch Marner was also on that 214 team? Oh my god, I I, I, I I don't know who it was. I just heard oh, okay. that that had happened. I'm just. I'm just doing my best Elliot Friedman. Was it Max Domi? Was it Mitch Marner? <laughs> but the, was it Chris Journey? Was it Josh Anderson? They were all on the team. But the difference is, like, when I do that to you, you know who it was. I honestly don't know who it was. Oh, okay. What a wild weekend in uh, Toronto, too. For example, oh. you know, when Klingberg didn't play on Friday against Calgary and Sheldon Keith said he was hurt, I had people telling yeah. me he was going to Robita Island. 
Oh my goodness! Can you imagine? No, no. And he no, played the next no. day, and I'm sure he wants to play in Sweden, which I completely understand. But people, and I thought it was really interesting that on Saturday night Reeves doesn't play, and they get two instigators, Giordano and Domi, for defending themselves. And the only thing I think about there is normally they're kind of waiting for Reeves to do it, and now with him not there. The group is saying, well, we can't look for anybody else. Now we're going to do it. When they when they talked about standing up for themselves, that's exactly what they were talking about. It was almost as if Reeves not in the lineup. Well, we can't wait for him. We have to do it ourselves. Someone's got to do it. Uh, you know who's doing it right now? The Florida Panthers. Yes. We talk about them for a second. Absolutely. We're parking on the Panthers here. Now, Ekblad and Montour are... On the horizon. Yeah. It sounds like Ekblad's going to be a little bit longer, but you know, there's some talk that by the end of the California trip, they may get these two back. Uh, they got Sam Bennett back uh, in the game against the Blackhawks on Sunday. They're seven, two, and one in their last 10. Yeah. They've won four, four games in a row. Um, and they sold out. Sunday afternoon yep. for Connor Bedard and the Chicago Blackhawks. Now, the Dolphins weren't playing. Okay, so they they were so that there's no conflict there. So but you still, look at the 19k that's on a good. Sunday, and you go, wow, that's a great number. But it's just a great number. Like I'm I'm happy for the for the Florida Panthers. You know, Bennett's back, getting some defensemen back. They're second in the Atlantic, nine four and one. Well, things are looking good here for the Florida Panthers for each. They are, and especially with all the injuries, as you mentioned, they they've uh, they've done really nicely. Like. I'm a money puck guy. I shouted them out on Saturday night. I really like yeah, their site. Expected goals. They're sixth among the NHL teams, uh, all teams and expected goals. And, and I know that uh, there's teams out there that are always very careful about me using that number on the public sites as opposed to the private information. But I still think, you know, if if, if you're sixth, that's probably it means you're trending very well. They're seventh in shot attempts percentage. Like they're they're controlling the play. I think they deserve a lot of credit for what they've done so far. And the interesting thing about this is we're starting to get closer to the Patrick Kane uh, decision. I, I I think this week he's going to start talking to some teams. Like Bill Zito, the GM of Florida, has been one of the most aggressive general managers when it comes to Kane. Like they don't have a ton of money, they can't offer him the most money. They can probably offer him only a one-year deal. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I know they can't offer him a ton of money this year. He is like the salesperson, the phone salesperson that calls you during dinner. Oh my God, this guy again? Like leave me alone. Like I heard he's been very aggressive with Kane come here we can't give you the most money but we can give you a chance to win and you know last year obviously they went to the stanley cup final but you know this year i don't think we were expecting any more but that team's record is good and their underlying numbers are good and i don't know if kane's going to end up there but florida incredibly and maybe unbelievably has made its case early in the year with with how they've played. You know, I have to tell you, so I wanted to mention something else. There was a story that came out on, on Friday night about Logan Thompson and not being able to yes. put the, the ribbon, the hockey fights cancer ribbon uh, on his mask. You know, Bobrov- 
he's played three games in a row with a with a hockey fights cancer mask, and Grubauer played with one too. So it, it's weird. Like it, it seems to me very strange that you know two goalies would be able to play with one and one without. I have a theory on this, and my theory is that when Logan Thompson wanted to put the ribbon on his mask, it was in the summer. And, you know, nothing was kind of allowed at that time. So I think that it was just the, I don't know who made the decision. Like, I'm not even convinced this ever got to the NHL. I don't know who made the decision, but the decision was made not to put it on at the time. But like, put it this way. I think if Logan Thompson just showed up in his next start with a hockey fights, cancer ribbon on his mask, I don't think anyone's going to care. I don't think anybody's going to complain. I don't think that's going to be a problem because you look at Grubauer and you look at Bobrovsky and, you know, they're they're wearing the masks. So I don't know what happened here. It, it's it's strange. It's 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 different. But I just can't imagine this would be a big deal considering you know, the other two guys are wearing the mask and Bobrovsky's done it for three games in a row. And I, I'll tell you this, I want to shout out Bobrovsky. Um, Bobrovsky's mask is beautiful. Like it is a beautiful, beautiful mask. And when you think about things in the league that can be done to show um, how players care and things like that, um, you know, first of all, Bobrovsky was a guy who during COVID, he was very generous in helping out some people um, who either lost jobs or lost wages during COVID. He was extremely generous. And secondly, um, that mask is a, is a beautiful tribute to Hockey Fights Cancer. A lot of credit to Bobrovsky. That's gorgeous. I think that all the Hockey Fights Cancer masks are, are beautiful in their own unique ways. Uh, and when the conversation turns to that, I will always shout out and draw people's attention to uh, the history of this type of mask. And I don't know about you, Fridge, but not that I want to say that one's better than another, but I got a special part in my heart for when Jimmy Howard put the picture of Dave Strader on the on the back plate. Yeah, it's a beautiful one too. That was beautiful call. That was maybe maybe uh, maybe my favorites. Um, a couple of more things before I get to break and the Montana's thought line. You reported on Samuel Montembeau. By the way, Jake Allen, really good game. He put, man, Allen was great on Sunday, uh, albeit in a losing uh, losing effort. But Jake Allen was great. Samuel Montembeau and a contract extension with Montreal. Where are they at? So I think I think they're working on it. Um, you know, one thing I think Montreal would like to do is I think they would like to solve this three goalie issue. And one of the ways they feel that they can proceed about solving it is, is Montembeau staying? And Montembeau statistically this year has had a good year. I think when you use some of the advanced stats that his numbers have been quite good. Um, You know, I'd heard they were talking to him. You know, the one thing that someone said to me is you got to be careful with this stuff because, you know, I love when people point out my mistakes, but they they said, look, you said Hannafin was close to getting done and now it looks like he's probably going to get traded. And it looked like it was close and then it kind of fell apart. So, you know, this person said to me, I don't want to handicap Montembeau because you were an example of something there that uh, didn't, that looked like it was close and didn't work. So after I was finished pulling the shrapnel out of my heart from this dressing down, I I, I just kind of (laughs) said, look, like, I think they're really trying. Montembeau in the post game was asked about it by Eric Engels. He said, look, yes, we're talking and nothing's done, but I'm hopeful, but I'm wondering if if Montembeau gets done 
um, it's it sort of it allows Montreal to have a bit more certainty because if they keep Montembeau and they decide what they want to do with whether it's Primo or Allen, at least they know they've got one of the two done and they keep the other one. So um, I think that's kind of where we are right now. I think they're trying to get some certainty on Montembeau and we'll see what the answer is. I mean, that was a hell of a game, Montreal and Boston on, uh, on oh, the Saturday goodness. night. Like just a really, really good game. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just think the Canadians want to know, want a bit of certainty here and there. They're really trying. I'll tell you something else, too. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Boston tries to get Swayman done, too, because he's on a one-year deal, and he can extend on January 1st. Um, so I'm, I'm curious about that. Like, the way he started this year, how well he's played, how well they're going – would not surprise me at all if the Bruins are are looking at that as well. I know you love Thatcher Demko, but Swayman the best goalie in the league right now. Well, I, I'm picking Demko because I picked him for the Vesna, and after last year's complete uh, disaster, <laughs> so the answer is no. Demko's the best in the league. Okay, very uh, good. A couple more things: Is there a thaw happening between the Chicago Wolves of the American League and the Carolina Hurricanes? This was a bad breakup and the Carolina Hurricanes have had to place players all, all over the world Elliot not just in the American Hockey League or the the ECHL players have gone home gone overseas it's been challenging to say the least um listen uh, Scott Housen at the AHL knows this one's a problem um Bill Daly Gary Batman at the NHL knows this is a problem that needs to get solved and now we're seeing Carolina Hurricanes prospects being assigned to Chicago. Are they dipping their beak back in the fountain? I think so. Another? You know what happens is, uh, you, you know, the, one of the old lines is, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. Um, and look, Chicago is in last place in the Central Division of the American Hockey League. They're 2-6-1. and one. And Chicago is a team, they want to win games. They're the independent AHL team, one of them. And it's not only about development for them, it's about winning games. And here you go, they're in last place in their division. And so the necessity is we got to get some players. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see some of those guys who ended up in the ECHL for Carolina who end up there uh, with the Wolves uh, because some of those agents were really upset and the, and the Wolves need players. So... I think there's been a lot going on behind the scenes between the Hurricanes, the AHL, the NHL, and the Wolves. But it's like we talked about with Edmonton. You know, Jay Woodcroft should be the coach of the Oilers, and he would be if the team was winning games. Well, the Wolves, if they're winning games, they'd have the leverage. Unfortunately, they're losing games. They don't have the leverage anymore, Jeff. So I I, I think you're going to see some of those Carolina guys end up there. So this is strictly business. It's always business. Strictly it's always business. Strictly business. Um, let me ask you about that Dallas-Minnesota game. Yeah. More so from the Minnesota point of view. You mentioned, you know, that uh, four teams are heading to Sweden for the Global Series. Um, the Minnesota Wild are one of them. Uh, they may be without Brandon Duhame hitting Thomas Harley from behind. And that game on Sunday after the game, and it's a punishing loss. 8-3 is the final. Yep. The Minnesota Wilds surrendering five power play goals and surrendering two 
shorthanded goals. Elliot, a lengthy, lengthy closed door meeting after this one for the Minnesota Wild before they uh, they leave for Stockholm, where they'll play both Ottawa and Toronto next Saturday and Sunday. You know, I I think this like. You know, after Woodcroft got let go, someone said to me, do you think Dean Evason is in trouble after that game? And, you know, I, I said I would be surprised. And, you know, don't forget that the Minnesota Wild live with a handicap that a lot of other teams don't have to deal with. And the, the guy who, to me, would really recognize that is Bill Guerin. Now... You know, obviously, I think ownership, there'll be pressure. You got to win. They want to win. But I think Dean Evison has squeezed everything out of the Minnesota Wild that he can, considering some of the shorthanded nature. You know, I will say this about Craig Leopold, the owner of the Wild. I don't think he forces his coaches or GMs to do anything, generally. I think for the most part, he lets you, he hires you to do a job and he lets you do the job. And I think that's the case definitely in Minnesota. But one of the stories I was told, and I meant to ask Chuck Fletcher this at the draft, but I didn't, although I believe it to be true, was when Chuck Fletcher fired Mike Yo as, as head coach of the Wild, they lost an afternoon game. They're really struggling. And, you know, Craig Leopold went to, Chuck Fletcher and said, y- you know what you have to do, right? And apparently Chuck Fletcher said, yeah, I know. And that's kind of the way that Leopold does things. He doesn't force his guys to do anything, but when he does, he makes it very clear. Oh, sorry, I should say this. On the rare occasions he does, because I think I don't think he does it a lot, you know, he'll save his moments for when he really needs them, but he'll make his opinion known. You know, it, it's tough there. You know, one of the things that really concerns me about them is their goal differential is minus 14. You know, that's the worst one in their division. And I think goal differential is a very important stat. I, I think it's a very big deal. Of course, it doesn't help that they were minus five on, on Sunday night, but the one thing I really do believe is they have a handicap that nobody else has. And, and I believe Everson does a great job of drawing out the most he can from a team that is shorthanded compared to everyone else. And, you know, the final thing I'd say about Minnesota is Kaprizov has not had a great year. Um, he hasn't been himself and... You know, Vancouver's proof, if your best players are your best players, it can make a big difference. But I think the thing is, too, is that Gustafson has struggled, Kaprizov has struggled, and, you know, I, I just think, like, it's it's sort of like the anti-Vancouver. Vancouver is overachieved because their best players have been phenomenal. Minnesota's struggling because their best players haven't been. I look at Colorado. They're struggling right now, too. And Franzosa has gone for the season. Franzosa has oh, gone for Joel the season. Yeah, he's gone for the season. Um, you know, like, there there are some really good teams out there. Like, look, take a look at Edmonton. They are struggling, obviously. Seattle went to the second round last year. They are really struggling. Minnesota is struggling. Colorado, I mean, Colorado's still in second place in their division, 
but you've got Bednar basically calling them garbage. Um, (laughs) You know, but that'll work with that team. Like those guys will understand what he's talking about. You know, you've got the Islanders, um, you know, Ottawa, Buffalo teams that had big hopes. And I have to tell you, like, I know that the goalie isn't there, Vasilevsky, and it is a big deal, but I've had a couple people tell me that they're starting to see some real warning signs about the Lightning. That, you know, everybody thought they'd get a summer off and they'd be all right. But, you know, I, I have to tell you, uh, and I, I've said this many times, right off the Lightning at your own peril, and I wrote that at the beginning of the year, but there are a couple of people who know how much I really like the lightning and they say, I don't know, like it, it might be time there. Like it just a lot of wear and tear on those bodies and it might not be as simple as one early summer. But I remind you, it is the fool who bets against the Tampa Bay lightning. A billion percent. Hey, you, um, you mentioned uh, the Islanders there a second ago. I wrote this down earlier, and I forgot where I wrote it down because you know I'm you know losing my mind. Um, what did you make of Casey Sezikis, uh blasting Islanders fans after they chanted for Lane Lambert's firing? Here's the quote: "It's the same thing as Kachuk. If they want to be like that, they can stay home." That's if I'm an if, if I'm. <laughs> Man, that's a that's a tough one. Whether you're the communications director, whether you're the owner, uh, if you're in charge of marketing, that's a tough one. When the players are telling fans to stay home, yeah, it, it's generally nah. not the marketing pitch that you'll or slogan <laughs> that you'll put up on your building. Stay home, Islander oh. hockey. Stay home. Oh. Like you won't. It's oh. actually kind of funny. Oh. Could you imagine? Thirty two thoughts podcast. Don't listen. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 Don't not listen. good. Although I will say when I first heard it, you know, on Long Island, like those are some of the uh the the toughest meanest fans in the league. I thought on one level some of those fans might actually respect. It's like when you know someone pushes you to see if you'll push back. They're, they're trying to draw you out to say, stand up for yourself. I thought on maybe some level, the fans on Long Island would kind of respect Casey Sezikis telling, telling them to shove it up where the sun don't sign. Like they'd be like, hmm, I can kind of respect that. You know, these are the people who booed the hell out of John Tavares in his first game back. So uh, on some level, I bet they get it. To me, it's the same thing as what Brady Kachuk did. Um, your fans may not always like it. And some people will tell you, you don't, you shouldn't do that, but he's trying to galvanize his team. He's trying to say, look, like they're murdering our head coach. We have to rally around our head coach. And that's what I think that is. So look, like my general reaction to this stuff, Jeff is two things can be true. Number one, Fans are allowed to say what they want to say because they pay the money and they're the reason we're all employed. Two, not every player or organization is going to agree with what they say. And that's what happened here. When I heard the quote, you know where my brain flashed to right away? Do you remember Bob Gainey blasting Montreal fans with Patrice Brisebois? 
Do you, do you remember the exact quote? Oh, yeah. We don't need those people here, right? Yeah. But it goes on. So I looked it up. I'm like, I remember it was like really, really strong. Here, here's the exact quote from Ganey. Um, this is back in 2003. Quote, we don't need those people. We don't want those people. They're jealous people, yellow people. Ganey said of the fans who booed Brisebois. I think they're a bunch of gutless bastards, to be honest. It's a good quote. That was really strong, Elliot. Gutless bastards. <laughs> he called them cowards. Gutless you know, Dom, bastards. This is These our title fans. for this podcast, Gutless Bastards. <laughs> I wonder if Welcome we could even if thoughts. if we named it that, would it would it stay? Like yeah. how long do you think that that title would stay on the 32 Thoughts podcast page? wouldn't happen because of all the, the the layers of editing that this thing goes through and the layers of approval that this thing goes through. There's no chance. I think Dom should try. There's no chance. See what happens. Come on, Dom. And Ganey Elliott went on to add, our message to them, these fans, is to stay away. We don't need you. This is from booing a hockey player, Elliot. Hey, man. Bob Ganey is one of the toughest people alive. If anybody would deliver that message... It would be oh, yeah. Bob Gaines, for sure. All right, uh, on that we'll break. Montana's thought line next. Listen to the 32 Thoughts podcast ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously, it doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences... People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. Okay, welcome back to the podcast. It's time now for the Montana's Thought Line, Montana's Barbecue and Bar, Canada's home for barbecue. <clears throat> Try the ribs. 32 thoughts at sportsnet.ca is the email. one 833 is the phone number, Elliot. I was out in an event at Sunday night and a gentleman named uh, Tom came up to me and he says, yes. you know what I really liked in one of your more recent podcasts? And I said, what was that? And he said, I really liked that question about whether or not the referee's arm gets tired when he's making a call. <laughs> The delayed, the delayed penalty call. And I looked at him and said, there is no way you actually like that. Like, there's not a chance. <laughs> there are not two people who think like Merrick does. 
There's no uh, chance. He goes, I didn't ask it. It was a good question. I know, but it was a merit question. And and That's you awesome. picked it. And he said, no, I really loved it. I really liked that question. And it made yeah. me think of two things. Number one, okay. people are insane. And number two, <laughs> number two, it's always a reminder that yeah. there are great fans out there who have really different questions about hockey. So it was just a reminder to me never to treat any of your questions as dumb or not worth answering, even though I think that anything that could in any way align with the way Merrick thinks uh, is bananas. What did you always say to me? There's the, there, what did you always say to me? Uh, there's no such thing as stupid questions, only stupid people asking questions. There's something along those you, lines. You, you know, when I, when I actually, exactly. you know what's funny? Because <laughs> when I actually do Q&As with, with young journalism students or I'll go to like a company yeah. and I'll talk to people, one of my lines is, don't be afraid to ask questions. Only reporters ask stupid questions. So I never make fun of the questions that people ask. But for some reason, I thought that one was really bad. <laughs> Evidently not. I thought it was a great one. And I thought Dave Jackson was excellent in answering it. Thank that you. That was good. Yeah. I have to say that was Dave Jackson. That was really that good. Was good. Yeah, he was great. Okay, let's start with a voicemail. Uh, this from, oh, what a great name. Jeff. Hey, guys, love the show. I was just listening to your recent podcast, and uh, Elliot had a phone call from an Elliot about uh, Jack Campbell and the waivers. So uh, Jeff here thought he would have a message for you guys. Um, so with the Jack Campbell waiver situation, and he has to be made available to all 32 teams, what if, for argument's sake, someone, say, like Dodonov got put on waivers instead of being traded? Um is he still available to all 32 teams or is he uh, exempt from his teams like Anaheim perhaps, or, you know, maybe it's not a trade. So too bad. That list is null and void. All right, guys. Love to hear your thoughts. Take care. So there's a couple of things here. And I think Elliot Todd Marchand may have been the canary in the coal mine on this one. And Doug McLean would have been the general manager of Columbus trying to trade him and he said he had a no-trade clause, and Doug said, I'll put you on waivers, um, and the team that I want to send you to will claim you, at which point I think agents realize we need to turn no trades into no moves uh, so he can't be placed on waivers. Um, you can be placed on waivers and claimed by a team that is on your no-trade Yes. List. So that's why if you ever look at these sites, Cap Friendly or Puckpedia, like some people have looked at them before and it says NMC and or and partial or modified NTC. And people are like, well, why would you need a no move clause and a no trade clause? It doesn't make any sense. And I say, oh, it does make sense. And the reason it makes sense is a no move clause prevents you from being put on waivers and your trade clause yep. prevents you from being traded. So if you see a player that has a no move clause, they can't be waived. If you see a player that just has a no trade clause, they can be waived. Now, one thing I checked that everybody should know is, because I had someone ask me once, if you have a no move clause, can you be bought out? The answer is yes, you can always be bought out. So there's three levels of protection. No trade clause, no move clause, which is even mm. higher than the no trade clause. 
and the partial no trade is probably the lowest of the three. Never mind, probably it is the lowest of the three. Great question from Jeff. Doug, hi guys, I love your insights. Keep up the great shows. Puzzled by the number of players. It's another waivers question. I'm puzzled by the number of players placed on waivers for the purpose of contract termination over the past few years. I'm not referring to players who have gotten in trouble. What conditions must be met to cancel a contract instead of a contract buyout? Does the player have to agree to this? This is also a great question. We saw one recently last week with Andreas Janssen. Yes, the player has to agree. Like, you know, like for example, I had a bunch of people in my DMs who were asking me, could the Oilers terminate Jack Campbell's contract? And the answer is no, without Jack Campbell's approval. And considering there's about 15 million to 18 million left on Jack Campbell's contract, he's not going to be agreeing to that. So, you know, that it's basically it comes down to, does the, do the player and team agree? And a lot of times it happens because a player's not happy with their situation in North America and they want to go back to Europe. They know they have an opportunity there. That's where most of these cases occur. Excellent. Again, here comes another good one. Um, this is a voicemail. Ben in Erie, Pennsylvania. I have a question that came up during last night's um, Ottawa-Vancouver game. So Brock Besser scored in like 15 seconds, but it went off the bar and out, and play continued on for about a minute or so uh, before automatic review kicked in. The play was called dead, and it was a good goal. Now, I was wondering, what would happen if either team accrued a penalty during that time? Um, would the penalty count or would it not count because it occurred during dead time? And uh, would that change uh, if it was a major penalty versus a minor penalty? Uh, thank you. Bye. Ben, that's really an, an interesting voicemail because I talked to someone in the league about this not too long ago, and we were talking about, you know, what happens during dead time or the twilight zone time, you know, everything gets rewound when the goal is scored. Well, what happens like during that dead time, what essentially counts and penalties do. So it's not as if it's, oh, okay, this is 1970s hockey and I should be incarcerated for what I'm about to do, but it's not going to count because that goal went in. So I'm going to fill my boots and swing my stick. No, that's, that's still a penalty. It may count as twilight zone time or wormhole time or whatever you want to refer to it as, uh, but infractions do count. You commit a foul, you will serve a penalty. So don't commit fouls. Yes, don't commit fouls, even if you think the goal's gone in and it's going to be called back and there's going to be a horn and the goal counts. Don't think you can just, you know, do whatever you want as, you know, clockwork orange style. I know Elliot loves that reference. Clockwork orange style. Don't do it. Um, can I be really petty? I, I kind of like it when people are petty. Yes. Okay, I'm going to be really petty and trite. That's a really good call. But one thing is like nails on a chalkboard for me in that call. And I hear it all the time. And like, oh, I just cringe when someone says, good goal. Why does it bother you? What's the difference between good goal or a goal? You know what officials on a review, upon video review of the puck cross the line, we have a good goal as opposed to we have a goal. Oh, my we God. We have a goal. If we don't have a goal, do we call it a bad goal? You know my other pet peeve? You like this one, too. Okay. What? Are you sure I'm going to like it? 
No, you're going to hate it, actually. <laughs> um, but I'm gonna, that's why I'm going to say it. Uh, when people refer to the area in front of the net as the slot area, as opposed to the slot, <laughs> how many empty calorie words are we going to add on things? Good goal. Slot area. It's a slot. It's a goal. Don't need to add stuff to it. You know, I wish They're my life was so easy that I could worry about stuff like this, like you do. Uh, Elliot thinks I'm fun. Okay, one more. This is an interesting one. Uh, Kuritz from Waterloo, Ontario. Jeffrey and Elliot. Uh, my question is about the current Connor Brown situation in Edmonton and Jeff Jackson as a whole. My tinfoil hat question is, does he not have incentive to want to keep Connor around to trigger his bonus and ultimately increase his agent commission? Or now that he is no longer an agent, does he lose his ability to collect agent fees slash commission from players? Curious if the NHL has a rule about agents who take front yes. office jobs and what happens to their agent fees. Hang on. Big fan. Thanks to you both. And try the risk. That is, <laughs> that, that is a really good question. The answer is yes. You, you, there are rules, and I do think so. One of the things about in the summer was there were rumors that Jackson was going to Edmonton, but it was impossible to confirm. Like really difficult to confirm. And I think that one of the reasons it was difficult to confirm is because everybody was radio silent because of how he had to divest himself moving from agent to team. So yes, that is a great question. And yes, there are rules about divesting yourself uh, from your agencies. Great questions this week. Absolutely. Uh, that's the Montana's Thought Line, Montana's Barbecue and Bar, Canada's home for barbecue again to get to us by email 32 thoughts at sportsnet.ca by phone 1-833-311-3232 when we come back we'll remind you of some of the best games of the week that are on the horizon circle your calendars folks and yeah we're going overseas to stockholm more podcasts in a moment before we get back to our regular programming we need to Talk about our partner, Montana's Barbecue and Bar. Taco about really? That's right. With $5 tacos available every Tuesday, satisfy any taco craving when you try their seasoned grilled chicken, Mexi spiced beef, Kapow shrimp, or mixed veggie options. Mix and match to try them all or add one to the side of your favorite Montana's item. $5 tacos at Montana's Barbecue and Bar every Tuesday. Some conditions apply. Visit montanas.ca for details. You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously, it doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences... 
People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. Elliot, I want to ask you about the Radko Gudis goal from Sunday. Open at the right point is Gudis. He'll wind and fire off of San Jose. Stick! Scored! It floated in the air and Blackwood never picked it up. And it floated in the net. Now, there are two Anaheim teams. There's the Anaheim Ducks and there's the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim. And I, here's my question to you about that Radko Gudis goal. Is that Gudis goal the most Mighty Ducks of Anaheim goal ever scored. That is not an Anaheim Ducks goal. That is a Mighty Ducks of Anaheim goal that was scored by Gudis. Agree or disagree? When you think of everything, whether it's the movie and the characters and what they represent and all of it and the jerseys and all of it, is that not the most Mighty Ducks goal you've ever seen? A knuckle puck? It was a three-pointer. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. It's the honestly, it's the most mighty duck goal I've ever seen. It's a great question. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I know that this is going to be someone's going to come up with something better. Well, actually, guys, there's going to be one of those. Don't worry. Comic book guy from The Simpsons. <laughs> Worst goal ever. Elliot, before we talk about the Hockey Hall of Fame and Monday is going to once again be a wonderful evening for hockey. Uh, and before we talk about what might be the most interesting game of the week and then some other games later on in the week in Stockholm, I uh, just want to shout out a couple of people specifically that I met over the weekend. Uh, was in Lake Placid for the first time ever. If you haven't Did been, Did you meet gorgeous. Mike Rizzioni? Okay, I kind of, well, I didn't really, but I oh went to the Mike Arugioni team shop. I went to the Mike Arugioni team shop. Uh, Can you not is, give a straight uh, answer to a question? I kind of well, not I, really did, but I went to the Mike Arugioni. Well, I didn't meet Mike Arugioni, but I went to the store named after him. So you didn't that meet him. That kind of counts. The answer is no, I didn't meet him. No, but I went to a place where there are autographed pictures of him. But I met someone that I really like, a guy by the name of Todd Zold, who's a big fan of the podcast. Nice. I don't think he's going to like you much after you blasted his shop, the Mike Arugioni I did not blast his shop. shop. I blasted your answer to the question. <laughs> oh. oh, okay. Hi, Todd. Very good. Thanks but, uh, very much. Very, very good. Very cool spot. Todd's a wonderful guy. Runs a great shop. And, uh, it was hustling. Like they do these Can Am tournaments like every weekend. This Can Am is gone. Did you on. meet Jim Craig? I think it started. Uh, well, I was in a shop with a picture of Jim <laughs> Craig <laughs> and Ken Morrow. Did you meet Dave Silk? <laughs> I His name was on a, of these jersey hoodies that they were selling at the Mike Arugioni team shop, Elliot. So there was, they had like statues and bobbleheads of Herb Brooks. If that counts too. They got a lot of cool stuff there. Some cool hats, some dry fits, real nice. Anyway, uh, met Todd, wonderful guy. Uh, had a nice conversation with him. Check out the Mike Arugioni team shop uh, when you visit Lake Placid. Hopefully, if you have kids that play hockey, they get to have the uh, the Can Am experience in Lake Placid. It's fantastic. Um, a gentleman by the name of uh, Rich Kiss pulled me aside the other night as well. He's a huge podcast fan. Uh, he's a New York Rangers fan living in Philadelphia. That, sir, is brave. 
Um, but I want to give a special shout out to a, was he a one of the Rangers fans Jack. that took over Philly in that one game? Oh man, can he? I bet he was too. Like he's like a diehard Rangers fan, so it wouldn't. Surprise By the way, me. I'm looking at the Mike Rizzioni team of, shop online right now. It's cool, eh? It's yeah, some nice stuff. Some those nice stuff uh, toques are really nice. Uh, some of the hats are the toques are. I mentioned the uh, the the sweater jerseys, the 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 hoodie jerseys. Those are real nice too. Some good stuff there, folks. Some good stuff. Um, met a young man on Saturday by the name of Jack Campbell and his mother Jennifer and his dad Ross. Real like super kid and knows like you know Elliot. Like you and I pretend that we know like a lot about hockey. This kid is dialed and knows a ton about hockey. Listens to everything, uh, including for some reason this podcast. So I gave Jack some homework. Um, he's, he promises that he's going to listen to every pod and he's going to make sure that we don't make any mistakes. And if we do make mistakes, he's going to call us on it. Elliot, that kid is going to have the highest phone bill in the world. No kidding. Jack, we are going to keep you busy. Uh, wonderful kid, wonderful family. And I love it when, uh, when I get to meet, uh, people listen to the podcast because they are wonderful people, uh, like Rich, like Todd and like Jack. So. Thanks to all three of them. I gotta tell you, the Arusioni Captain Vintage Crew—it's pretty nice. Are you like angling for top <laughs> like send you? It's possible. Like, I can't deny that. Hey, that you is know the what? Attempt this, is that a life-size cardboard cutout of Herb Brooks? That would look great in my cave. Oh wow, Elliot. Um, okay, a <laughs> couple of things here. I want to finish with the Hall of Fame, but before we get yeah. there. Um, NHL heading to Stockholm, the global series. So I, I love this because I love NHL games at different times of the day. So Thursday, Detroit, Ottawa, two o'clock Eastern. Bam. Awesome. That's great. I like and that. And then Friday. Yeah. Friday, Detroit, Toronto, two o'clock Eastern. Bam. Uh, Saturday, 11 a.m. Eastern from Minnesota, Ottawa. And then, oh, Elliot's. I know you got hockey night on Saturday. And it's a late one always on Saturday night. But Toronto, Minnesota, 8 a.m. on Sunday, Eastern time. First of all, you're like Emerald. You're bam, bam. Like that's... that. I know, it feels like that, yeah. But uh, so I usually work the regional games, Leaf regional games. And because we're working late on Saturday night and the Leaf regional game is early Sunday morning, they told me, you know, you can have Sunday morning off, Leaf the Wild. Did you take it off, you half my And own? I said... I will work it, but you have to understand I'm coming right from the bar. And they said, you can take it off. <laughs> well, at least you're honest. Yes. I'll be coming right from my speakeasy, right to the Toronto, Minnesota I game. wanted to mention, you know who uh, I met this week was the parents of you your radio producer, David Sis. Oh, no way. Yes. You know, Dave's a, Dave's a scout for the Owen Sound Attack of the OHL. Did you know I that? I did not know that. That's about the only thing his parents didn't tell me about him, is that he's a scout oh, for yeah. the Owen Sound Attack, yes. Huge hockey guy. Yeah, Dale DeGray's got him a good one there. Got himself a good scout there. Um, okay, so that's the Global Series, but the game of the week in North America, as I look at it, Wednesday... Vancouver and the return of Bo Horvat. How's that going to go? You can tell Horvat's a little bit nervous about it because of some of the things he's been saying. Like, I hope he basically said, oh, never mind. Basically, he said, 
I think some things got misinterpreted there, but I really love playing in Vancouver. Usually I find when you start a sentence by saying things got a little bit misinterpreted, it's basically third and 17. Like you're pretty much in trouble on this play. <laughs> but, but the thing is, like, like to me, Horvat, you know, he's he was good there. He was the captain. He was the captain there for a reason. It didn't work out, but, you know, he really cared. Um, look, like, things are going well there right now. Um, I bet you he gets a good reception. I bet you he gets a good reception. I don't, I don't, I don't, it's, to me, it's not, I hope so. I, I, I think that it, it just, it didn't work there. Boy, I got to tell you, I, you know, this is a good reminder, Jeff. I had some really interesting feedback about what I said last pod about how that the fact that whole thing came up with the draft was a reason that they didn't win. I had a bunch of people reach out to me and say, not only is that true, but you could basically talk about that for every team that doesn't win. When you're relitigating things five to 10 to 15 to 20 years after it happens, it's because you're not a winner. And so, you know, Bull Horvat got traded uh, when the Canucks were still trying to find their way. Um, look, th- this year, are they on like a shooting percentage, save percentage bender? Yeah, but ride the wave and their their best players are playing great. They weren't like this a year ago. They were really struggling to find their footing. And I think most Canucks fans are going to recognize that. They're going to say, this was a guy who was traded, our captain who really cared when we hadn't figured it out yet. And they're not going to blame him. They're going to look at the overall situation. All eyes on Wednesday. This one should be a beauty. Okay, um, finish up with the Hall of Fame. A thought on a few of these individuals. Well, first of all, it's the year that the Hall of Fame plays catch up or make good or make do with goaltenders. Yes. Um, I don't know about you, but I've always felt the two positions that the Hall of Fame has always sort of come up light as far as, you know, because they've, they've come up late when the, on the women's end as well. But as far as positionally, uh, goaltenders and defensive defensemen, those are the two areas where I think the, the Hall is, has kind of fallen a little bit. But not this year with the goalies. Uh, Mike Vernon, Henrik Lundqvist, and Tom Barrasso. Uh, four-time gold medalist uh, Carolyn Roulette. Caro goes in, as does Pierre Turgeon. Uh, Ken Hitchcock gets the nod as well, and the late Pierre Lacroix. Your thoughts on this class? Well, first of all, this is one of my favorite nights on the year, uh, even though we don't broadcast it. I always love the speeches. I, I think the, the speeches are really beautiful, and I think you get to see, you get a chance to see what really means something to these people. And, you know, I think when you're going into the Hall of Fame, obviously you're the elite of the elite at what you do. And I think you get a real window into the soul of, you know, the things that are meaningful to these individuals. What's meaningful? Number one, being great. Number two, winning. And, and probably it's the it's two before one, but there's always things that you don't think of. And I started a new tradition this year, and I'm going to keep doing it every year, Jeff. But I went to the media conference on Friday for the inductees, and the thing I asked them about was, what is the best compliment that you ever received? 
and some of the answers were were really good. Um, you know, Mike Vernon talked about um, he got a letter once from the football coach at the University of Michigan, Lloyd Carr, like kind of out of nowhere. He met him at an event, and then not long after, Lloyd Carr sent him a, a written note about. You know, just, you know, obviously Lloyd Card watched and seen what he did. And he said it was really meaningful that this letter appeared out of nowhere from Lloyd Carr. And he also said he got one from Lou Lamorello uh, after he got in. He got a handwritten note from Lamorello when his uh, when he was inducted or when the announcement was made last year. Um, you know, Eric Lacroix asked him about his dad and uh, he talked about how um, you know, Peter Forsberg in 2001, he didn't play in the Stanley Cup final. You know, Colorado beat New Jersey, but Forsberg had suffered a, a, a had surgery for like, I guess, a ruptured spleen after they won the Western Conference final. And he wanted to play. And Pierre Lacroix told him, I don't care how much I want to win the Stanley Cup here. This is about your life and you're not going to play. And years later, guys like uh, Forsberg and, you know, Joe Sackick and Adam Foote, when they had kids, uh, LaCroix showed up in hospital to, you know, welcome their children into the world. And like things like, like they said, players told him like, because I'll tell you this, Pierre LaCroix, as you know, he could be ruthless. He was a really tough negotiator. He made really hard decisions. And, but when it came time to show like players, the human side, uh, he could do that too. Um, Ken Hitchcock talked about players like Mike Medano and Rick Nash and Keith Primo, who said to him, uh, you could be tough on me, but now I understand. Uh, Tom Barrasso talked about um, Mario Lemieux would say to him, um, you know, we need to win and you're the guy who's going to get it done. I believe you, you're the guy who's going to get it done for us. And so those are the things I really like is I, I, when, when you're the best in your field and anyone who's going to the hall of fame is the best in their field, obviously, and it's an elite field and you're at the top of it. I'm always really curious to see who are the, not only, not so much who are the people they thank, but what they say about those people and what really mattered to them. So I always love, like Bernice Carnegie had an incredible speech uh, last. That's the best one ever. Yeah, at the at the, the, best at the hockey the hall of fame, ever. and I, I love that. I love watching the speeches. I I really do. It's funny too, because I was going to close by mentioning Bernice as well. The bar has been set high. Like there have been some great speeches in the past, but last year the way that Bernice Carnegie spoke and the way that she held the crowd. And the way that she took the crowd on an emotional roller coaster in her speech uh, about Herb Carnegie was spectacular. That is the bar. Um, that's going to be a tough one to beat. Um, but I do encourage people because I, I, I love Hall of Fame speeches. Um, I, I, I love I, I just love speeches to, to begin with. Um, whether you're doing valedictorian speeches or Hall of Fame speeches, I really enjoy listening to them. Um, do yourself a favor sometime this week. If you haven't heard what Elliot's talking about, do yourself a favor and go listen to Bernice Carnegie last year um, on the induction of Herb Carnegie. It is the most beautiful Hockey Hall of Fame speech, I think, that there's ever been. Congratulations to the class this year, Vernon Lundquist, Barrasso, Roulette, Turgeon, Hitchcock, and Lacroix. An excellent class. Congratulations to them all. This podcast returns Friday morning. 
our usual time. Enjoy your week. I'll talk to you Friday. You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously, it doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences, People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host.